Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. With each episode, our diverse and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect, and refocus, and defeat the voice that we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. This episode is brought to you by Thinking Ahead. Thinking Ahead's diverse team of executive recruiters specialize in executive-level talent acquisition in the world's most competitive and sought-after industries. As an employee-owned company, Thinking Ahead has award-winning consultants widely recognized as subject matter experts in their respective specialties, including banking, life sciences, healthcare, nonprofit, IT and gaming, energy, legal, security, and sales. Since 1982, Thinking Ahead has built expertise and delivered results that keep their clients engaged year after year. They believe that recruiting is not a one-size-fits-all solution. Their wide-ranging expertise enables them to ask the right questions, arrive at the best answers, and deliver desired results quickly. They continue to excel on their mission to connect the right people with the right organizations at the right time. Visit thinkingahead.com to learn more about how our specialists can help you recruit top-level talent, or serve as a trusted advocate in your career search. Over 8,000 busy professionals call it the Tesla of productivity apps. Why? Because Sansama is not just a plain old to-do list productivity app. You can plan your day, strike work-life balance, and achieve your goals without burning out. Try for free today at sansama.com. No card needed. On today's episode, host Dan Moore is joined by Courtney Bowie, managing attorney for Earth Justice, the premier nonprofit public interest environmental law organization. With time spent at the ACLU, as well as the Southern Poverty Law Center, Courtney is a champion of civil and environmental rights, drawing from the experience of a 20-year legal career to bring a strong voice to those in need. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Everyone, welcome to the Action Catalyst. Today, our guest is Courtney Bowie, who's got an amazing background, a great story, and she's making a difference for our world every single day with what she does. And since Action Catalyst is about making a difference, we're delighted to have you as a guest. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, it's interesting how our family of companies is connected because I understand that a young recruiter named Jess Martinez is the reason that you joined Earth Justice. Could you give us a bit of background on that, please? Sure thing. I was working with the ACLU. And I'd been the South Dakota legal director for a number of years. And when I moved back to New York in 2019, Jess reached out to me about Earth Justice. And it was perfect timing because I just worked collaterally with Earth Justice because I'd been representing protesters at the Dakota Access Pipeline protest in Standing Rock, um, near the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation in North Dakota. And I was really interested in the work of the environmental movement and environmental justice lawyers. That's a great connection. Jess is part of Thinking Ahead, which is a full-service search and recruitment firm that's part of our family of companies. So I'm glad you had that connection. Yeah, she was amazing. She shepherded me through the entire process of applying for the managing attorney role in the Northeast region of Earth Justice. And it was a really, just like I said, a, a really helpful and good connection for me. Well, Courtney, I know you didn't start off thinking that you're going to be in public service law. You started off in a, in a law firm, in fact. 
Can you kind of share with us some of the most significant pivots in your, in your life as you look back on it? In other words, the point A led to point B, led to C, led to D, but some are more significant than others. So what, what caused you to kind of take the route that you're in now over these many, many years and great successes? I went to law school initially thinking I was going to be in public interest law or more specifically criminal defense law. And I went in the mid-90s and I'd been living in Boston for a number of years. Love Boston. Shout out to Boston. And I'd worked at a small nonprofit in Boston before I went to law school. So after college, I joined a nonprofit called NCCJ, which I think is defunct now. But it was the National Conference of Christians and Jews. It later became the National Conference. And it they may have some offices now, but it used to be a nationwide organization. We did a lot of really great, fun, interesting work around equality and justice and isms. I ran a camp called Anytown north of Boston, which brought together urban and suburban kids to get to know each other. And it was delightful. And I thought, you know, I'll go to law school and continue working on criminal justice issues, defending people who've been um, accused of crimes. And then my first summer after my first year at University of Texas, I came back to the Northeast and worked as an intern for a judge in the Supreme Court of New York, which is the felony trial level. In New York, most states, the Supreme Court is, a, is, is an appellate court. In New York, the Supreme Court is where felony trials are handled. And I was in the Bronx and I realized I didn't have the stomach for it. I believe very much that people deserve criminal defense. And I, you know, I know people work on both sides of that. I didn't want to prosecute the people who were coming before the judge, but I also did not, I didn't have the stomach for, you know, getting into the facts of those cases. I did it for three months. It was more than enough. And so I went back to law school, kind of reassessed my second and third year and went to a defense firm, met great people, learned a lot, learned how to be a really good litigator at a firm in Boston called Goodwin. But I also, after a little while there, I knew, you know, I wanted, I really do want to do this civil rights thing or leave law. And so I just applied to every civil rights position in the country social justice position that I could think of. And Southern Poverty Law Center was hiring and they had one office at the time in Montgomery, Alabama. I'd been to Alabama once. Actually, I'd been to Tuskegee once on a visit in high school. But, you know, they offered me the role and I sold everything in Boston, my condo, packed up my stuff, drove to Alabama and started working in Montgomery, Alabama. That's how I ended up kind of in the social justice law world initially, just because there was a point four years after I started Goodwin that I thought, you know, I don't really want to practice law or I just want to use law to do good. Exactly. That's quite a journey there. It was. Alabama was really quite a different, it was a change from Boston where I'd spent most of the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. And Alabama's the site of so many social justice milestone moments for our whole country. Indeed. It's a really amazing place. There's a rich history, rich culture. I met amazing people in the work at SPLC and other nonprofits. It's a relatively small progressive community. And so it wasn't hard to get to know everyone because there aren't that many people on the progressive side of things in Alabama. Right. But that progressiveness is such an important thing to keep fanning that flame. Absolutely. You know, along the way, Courtney, you are bound to hit some pretty significant brick walls, things that were just showstoppers at the moment. What are some strategies or advice you can share with us when you hit one of these unexpected things that you can't see around it, can't see over it, can't see under it? What are some coping strategies you can share with us? So there are different types of brick walls. And I'm I'm thinking of the, I mean, so there are brick walls that you hit because you think, you know, this social problem is not solvable. 
And I think a lot of people probably feel that right now in many ways. And a lot of the work that I've done, both in racial justice, voting rights, women's rights, and environmental work. So that's one brick wall. And then the other brick wall is like just me personally, like I just need a break or professionally, like this isn't going the way I want it to. So I need to, I need to step back. The first one I think is more existential and kind of thinking about how do I go forward in this profession and in this world when the deck seems so stacked. And I think that's what's so cool about what you talk about and what, what you have to try to keep in mind when you're doing this type of work is that most change is incremental, but it requires people who are good. And I think there are people who are good in every state, in every race, in every place. Like good people have to stand up and say and have the courage to say, I think this is wrong or that is wrong. There's a toll and there's a cost when you do that. And it can be exhausting and that can cause a brick wall because you do it and you sometimes feel alone, but you don't realize when you do that, it helps other people come around and say, you know what? Yeah, this is wrong or, or I can see a better future or a different future or a future that doesn't involve continuing to do the same thing if in fact this thing is unjust. And sometimes it requires really doing a lot of work and research or media to show that something's unjust or not right or it's not going to end well. Sometimes it just requires naming something that we all kind of feel is not right. I take heart by understanding the history of this country and, and history in general. I'm a big history buff and understanding that at every moment in the country's history, I mean, there was a point in the 1860s when people didn't think the country was going to survive. And we went through a period of civil war that resulted in three of the most significant amendments to the Constitution, the 13th Amendment, outlawing slavery, the 14th Amendment, guaranteeing equal protection to all citizens, and the 15th Amendment, guaranteeing the right to vote. That was after years of bloody struggle, many, many people dying and being maimed. And, and I think you have to keep that history and that context in mind. <laughs> So that, that gives you some strength when you realize that the history of struggle is not necessarily one hit and you're done. It's a process. It can take generations, in fact, to accomplish. Absolutely. And also that people have been in it for years. Mm -hmm. Well, they really have. You know, I was in middle school when Rachel Carson's book, Silent Spring, came out and it woke up everybody because DDT was the main pesticide used in farms. It was even used in homes. And I remember what a tremendous wake up that book was for so many of us. I remember when I was in high school and the Clean Air Act passed and the Clean Water Act passed, and this was against an awful lot of industrial opposition. And those things have been real difference makers. Yeah, I think you're pointing to a really important recent moment, right? Like that's what I love about coming to environmental law from civil rights and social justice. Like I'm talking about 1865. Rachel Carson is late 60s and all of these laws were passed in the 70s. So they're 50 years old. And I think when people, and it's particularly some of the younger people who are coming into their careers and want to get involved in the work of protecting the environment because it's going to impact them more than it's going to impact me. Part of that is making sure they know that 50 years is not a long time for a law, that we had the 14th Amendment on the books in 1865, but it was the 1960s when a lot of those rights became real for people. And we can change them. We can amend the laws if we need to. We can keep fighting. We can keep bringing cases. One case isn't going to make a difference. No, but it's going to take that groundswell of people saying, enough is enough. We've got to pull this together. And when it comes to the environment, last time I checked, we only have one. No, we, we do only have one. And we've got one shot at this. And I think it's imperative right now. I mean, that everyone becomes aware and becomes 
a protector in the way that my indigenous clients in North Dakota and South Dakota used to, I mean, they're all water protectors. That's what they call themselves. And I thought it was, was really appropriate. It's what got me into environmental justice work. I was thinking the issue out there was race. They were saying the issue for them was protecting their water because water is life. And they're absolutely right. We don't have water. Nothing else is really going to matter. All of these other things are going to feel very secondary. True. So water protectors, what a great term. Yeah. They were coming together around protesting the Keystone XL pipeline. There are a number of tribes, obviously a lot of tribes in South Dakota and North Dakota. They call themselves the Lakota, I believe, but the term we use is Sioux. That's the French term. When they got together to protest the Dakota Access Pipeline, which was crossing the Missouri River just above the water intake for the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation, it was the first time the tribes of the Lakota had come together since the 1860s. So the, the camp was called Ocheti Sakawi because that's the Council of Seven Fires. And those seven tribes got together in a way they hadn't in, what, 150 years. And then also, Almost every tribe in the country came to South North Dakota, excuse me, and brought their flag and they walked with a ceremony and drums. It was really beautiful. There was, it was a camp where people were camping and praying. And this was in August of 2016 that folks are protesting this pipeline because of the threat to the Missouri River, which is a huge drinking water source, not just for Standing Rock Sioux Reservation, but for millions of people. They all came and got together for the first time in the history of this continent. Right. These are all separate sovereign nations, these tribes. They had always been warring. And so it was an amazing thing to see tribes from all over the country, from the Northwest, from Maine, from Florida, coming up to North Dakota with their flag to say, we support you, and then camping for a day or two. And it was really a beautiful thing until the oil company, you know, started bringing lawsuits against people for interfering with the pipeline and civil trespass and things of that nature. But um, it was really quite an amazing thing to see. It, it, it truly is. You know, a lot of our listeners are also very cause-driven and sometimes it's against overwhelming odds. But what do you do to keep from just getting discouraged in the face of these massive forces that seem to be working against you? I mean, I, I've always found great friends in the cause and also I take little mini breaks. When something's going on, you know, you go full throttle and you, you know, you show up when the thing was happening in Dakota, in North Dakota, and I was the South Dakota legal director, which also covered North Dakota. I just went back and forth to North Dakota in 2016 until the end of the year and wrote a lot of motions and wrote letters and met with people and did what you do as an ACLU attorney. At the time, I was with the ACLU. Earth Justice was working on the permitting and they did a, a tremendous job, you know, making sure that that permit was environmentally reviewed and doing everything they could in court to get that stopped. But a lot of people were just kind of in it. And then when the election occurred and the permits were granted and the court case was still going on, but it wasn't my piece, it took a little break. And I, I hung out with my family. You know, I get out in nature. I like to hike. I like to swim. And I, I just kind of step away from everything in terms of what's going on in the courts and just focus on the now and focus on the now. Like I don't read books about climate change when I'm doing that. I should just step away and make sure that I'm rejuvenated so that when there's time to get into a, a squabble, I'm ready to go and I can lead my team. I have an amazing team of people at Earth Justice. I manage um, really talented lawyers, lobbyists, senior analysts, policy folks, and we need to be ready. 
I was going to ask if you kind of insist that your team also take those breaks. Sounds like you do. Absolutely. I think it's crucial because I think a lot of it's hard when you're in this work to like take a day off because you think the work is so important. You have to just keep grinding. And I certainly entered the work that way, like thinking you just go, go, go. And it's really kind of disrespectful to the cause to take a night off or a weekend off. You know, you need to be going 24 seven. But what I realized is if you don't like stop and take care of yourself, you're there's something's going to stop you. You know, your body is going to stop you or your mind is going to stop you and you're going to give up altogether. And so I am a big fan of telling people, you know, this work is incredibly important. There's nothing more important than, you know, the threat to our existence. It's an, it's an, exi- it's an existential threat. The work we're doing in environmental justice is, is trying to stop an existential threat to humanity. But you need to be ready to do it. You need to be okay. And in order to do that, sometimes you're going to need to take breaks. And that's okay too. I think it's really, really sound advice, Courtney. Now, here's another question. Do you have a morning routine, a way you'd like to start your day that's kind of a standard way you get rolling in the day? Yeah. I mean, I think I actually like going into the office, you know, so I was, I was really sad when, when COVID closed everything down because I like seeing people and I like interacting with other humans on a regular basis. I have an at-home office routine and then an in-office routine. My in-office routine, get up. I like Peloton. So I do a Peloton workout and then, because I love the music, the music's amazing on Peloton and the workouts are great. And I always work harder than I would if I just did the workout on my own. I get dressed and take a couple of minutes to myself, the 20, 30 minutes it takes for me to commute from Jersey City into New York City. And then I always treat myself to coffee out when I go into the office. On the way in, I listen to NPR, share a little bit about what's going on. It's normally not super upsetting the way the other news stations are, and but it's informative. And then I get in and, and get my day going. I think that's fantastic. Get your brain in the right frame and get you ready to make things happen that day. In some ways, it's like an urban version of a forest walk. You know, a lot of uh, Japanese businesses require their people to take forest bathing, it's called, every day. They have to take 10 minutes in the forest outside the office because it's so rejuvenating. They call it forest bathing. I am going to Google forest bathing when this ends. <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> and there's some parks in every, every city. One of the great things about our country is that somebody had the wisdom to not develop every single square inch and make sure that we have good green spaces and, and the lungs of New York, of course, are Central Park. Oh, and it's an amazing space. The northern part of the park is also really kind of untouched in a way that it's hard to believe you're in a city park when you get into some of those trails into the woods. It's absolutely true. It's beautiful there. Now, some of our listeners, their lives are just trucking along really in a great pace. They're happy with what's going on. We've got some others that are so discouraged and frustrated right now. Well, what advice could you give somebody that is just doesn't know where else to turn? Well, in terms of thinking that the economy's bad or the environmental crisis we're facing is, is kind of hopeless or, I mean, I'm a person of faith and I, I believe people should have the right to believe or not believe. And then to believe in the way that they want to believe. But for me, I want to say that. I want to use I statements here. I believe that there's a higher power and that, and this is corny, but that, you know, it's the Martin Luther King quote of the arc of justice bends towards justice, but it bends very slowly. And I am completely savaging that quote. I know that I did not say that necessarily in the right way, but what I mean is I'm a person of faith. And when I get really discouraged, I lean on my faith and I encourage other people to lean on whatever their higher power is, if they have one. And if they don't, 
even if people don't have higher power, sometimes they do have things that help them like yoga or meditation or something like that. Um, and that's not very practical. I know it's not the same as saying, here's a way to earn money to cover your rent bill if you don't have your rent paid. But I'd say get involved with the politics at a local level that will address those things. If it's, you know, your rent's too high and you can't afford it or there aren't living wages, like get involved at the city level and see if your city and state will pass, you know, different minimum wage laws and rate control. It's a way to feel empowered too. There are things we can do instead of just feeling stuck. Helen Keller once said, I am only one, but I am one. And so the good that I can do, please let me do it. And if we just remember, we may be only one, but we are one. And that's way more than zero. Absolutely. I mean, I think we need tons of work at the federal policy level and state policy level to address climate change and making sure our water's clean. But, you know, we can make individual choices that will help the planet. You can choose to keep your air conditioner at 78 or higher. I mean, we don't want people who are sick to suffer if they need it lower. That's one thing. But I'm just saying, if you're okay, well, you can make choices that will impact our policies and how much energy we're using as a country. We can find the recycle center instead of just throwing it in the normal trash. Absolutely. The cumulative efforts of millions of people make a difference, but it all starts with that individual person saying, it's on me, not anybody else. Exactly. Courtney, thank you for being with us today and, and thank you above all for the good that you do. Thank you so much for having me. This has been delightful. It was nice to meet you and to chat. Thanks for your work on the podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. And to stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and on Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. And thanks for listening.